1: Hi, welcome back to Laurel's Real Money Talks. Our podcast talks about how to make money, how you should keep it, protect it, how do you need to invest it, get off those lazy assets, control your wealth and your generational wealth, and do it with a team so we have a large conversation about money here. And today I have with me a partner, a dear friend, probably the best tax strategist you'll ever meet, and we're going to talk about taxes. It's tax time. The new tax reform is up. We're going to give you some very actionable things you need to be doing, and Questions you should be asking your accountant to that I think I think a lot of you are being underserved because you don't ask the right questions. You think they're just gonna handle it for you and God forbid you're doing your own taxes. You definitely, definitely need to listen to this podcast. So Weldon Wolstein's with me today. We're partners and entity partners. He's also has his own tax and strategy practice. So Weldon, talk a little bit about just you and how brilliant you are, and then we're gonna jump right into this whole tax issue. I mean, it's tax time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's tax time. It's my favorite time of the year. So, a little bit of background on myself. I've been in the tax world since 1989. Originally started down in LA working on oil and gas partnerships. So, I've got my teeth in the oil and gas industry. So, I've kind of always sort of followed that, that industry, which is kind of exciting. And I moved up to the Tahoe area for a lifestyle choice and then kind of converted my tax practice to a international practice that we you know technology being able to use that to help anybody pretty much anywhere anywhere around the world or the United States and just my whole thing is I actually really I know it seems kind of crazy but I actually love taxes okay. because I, I kind of see it as a as a puzzle each person's kind of different and so each puzzle is different so being able to take a certain situation and put it into the tax law and being able to use as much of that tax code to our benefit is kind of where I get excited. I know it's kind of really weird, but that's me.
1: No, I, I, you know, I tell people, how do you know so much in such a wide variety of money topics? And I say, well, well, you guys are, you know, reading fiction novels in shades of gray. We're reading business, you're reading tax. And, you know, we're like kind of passionate about this stuff. So the rest of you, uh, we're here to help you and get it right. Uh, a couple of things I do want to point to, like there, our tax code is upward of 80,000 pages at the in the United States level. Because of you know, my activity, I think Weldon's got quite the experience now in cross-border taxation from the United States to Canada. We have specialists in there as well. We've done work in Australia, South Africa, yeah, bringing money back from the UK. So for those of you that are, because I know we're very international in our podcast, this is not just a US-based conversation. Because in principle, your names of your companies might be a little different, but they operate very, very similarly. And there's a lot of people... In fact, I'm doing a big webinar in the next week or so to a large Australian group that want US assets and US entities. And we have you know here in Nevada, an opportunity for you to actually use our address. We'll get your mail, we can actually do your corporate structure. So you have a US address. We do that for a lot of Australian, New Zealand, Canada, so there's a lot that most people don't know. And I always say, you know, if you're filing your own taxes, doing your own TurboTax, you haven't even begun the game because all the tax deductions are not in that small structure. So, well, then I want to start with, because this is always a question, is why should I get it? I know it's a little off taxes, but it's in the category. It is So many accountants, which I think are so illegal and irresponsible, I could use other adjectives. Why do so many of those folks tell people to not get incorporated? This whole weekend I spent in California, the highest tax, most difficult place, and 90% of the rooms say, well, my, my accountant says I'm not ready to be incorporated. What would you just say to those people who sit in sole proprietor land for so long? I know it's a little off taxes, but it has a lot to do with it.
2: Well, one of the things, I mean, if, if they're not ready and they're in sole proprietor world, they're gonna stay in sole proprietor world and never move out of it. And I have to admit, when I first started my tax practice, I told my clients the same thing. I mean, I said, oh, no, no, you need to have $50,000 in gross revenues or, or whatever the number is. There's always a number. And the problem with that is some people will never reach that because you have to have, one, a commitment to actually focus on the business So by making that commitment, saying, you know what, I'm going to be a business, I'm going to treat it like a company. And when you when you start to treat it like a company and then your mindset starts to treat the expenses like business expenses, you start thinking about, oh, how can I take this personal expense? And maybe how can I change this or what do I need to do to be able to make this a business expense to legitimately be able to write it off? And there are some processes that that you have to go through and documentation that you have to do to make that uh, a legitimate business expense. But I think a lot of accountants or a lot of CPAs don't believe in their clients to to actually take that step because I mean there are like if you do incorporate you are required to have an annual meeting there are some administrative work that you have to do but like, if the administrative work is minimal for what what kind of benefits you can get out of it for the you know the, the corporate meetings the uh, annual meeting that you can have that anywhere. To I mean, the different tax deductions to structuring it where we, could, we can split your Social Security and Medicare tax you know, for your wage versus a, an investment income. I mean, there are so many strategies that, that you're missing if you're not using the corporate structure or an entity structure that it's really silly not to use it right off the bat. I mean, as soon as you have income in your company, that's actually when you need to set up the entity. Let's say you, you set the sole proprietor world. You're set in there. You don't want to convert yet or don't want to set up a new entity. You're going to set up a bank account. You're going to probably set up a merchant account. You're going to make contracts with other companies or other vendors. If you go along five, 10 years down the road from now, and then you say, you know what? It's finally time for me to set up a corporation. Guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to actually go back set up a merchant account, set up a bank account, set up all these new vendor contracts because technically it's legally a separate company or a separate entity. I mean, it's it's completely separate. And so you're going to have to redo everything. And especially people in like the medical profession, I mean, all the contracts with the insurance companies, I mean, that's that's a huge task. So having to redo that and, and go over that again, it's kind of a waste of time if you just did it in the beginning, you know, and, and move forward with it. I think you're, you're going to be much better off and then you, we can actually utilize the tax law and the tax codes for, you know, when you're first starting for that minimal cost of what it takes to actually set up a company. Gosh, we can probably save that as soon as you have five to $10,000 of income. That should happen the first month.
1: Absolutely. So, and then the other thing I just want to just, it's heartbreaking to watch this. Some of these clients... You know where they've been in business and a sole proprietor for 5, 10, 15 years, and there's some point where they need a loan, they finally get incorporated. And just so all of you know, just to Weldon's point, I mean, when you first start your company, that's really, according to the Secretary of State, the first day you're really in business, you can say, no, 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 I've been in business for 18 years. Well, not according to any legal records. I mean, maybe sole proprietor and your 1099s, but it's a very different opportunity you're going to have to build corporate credit to build a corporation that can stand on its own without your signature. So it's a big deal. So I wanted to start our tax conversation with put your money in the right account. One of the taglines I've come up with is companies make money, individuals get taxed. So with that frame, get incorporated and have your companies make the money, do the proper deductions. And also, don't just assume that the person that's doing your taxes is going to use the whole code. They're just going to kind of do what they do you've got to be co-creating in that relationship. I mean, I don't know how many times, well, then you sent me back some tax forms and I said, oh, it's, you know, ready. let's go again. Let's go deeper. What else can we do? Because again, I think we both see it creatively and like a puzzle that can be solved and not just a burden that all of you have to pay. So was there anything else you want to say about that? Because I want to move on. I I have a whole bunch of questions.
2: I think just kind of a little little tidbit on that is, you know, you have tax compliance and you have tax strategy. Tax compliance is what, H&R Block, what TurboTax, what I would say probably half to three quarters of the CPAs out there do. It's taking your information after the fact, putting it on forms, giving you back the forms. That's a reactionary deal. I mean, once you have that information, you can't change anything. Tax strategies happens now for the current year and moves forward. So we're actually reacting and planning to things that are happening maybe next month or or that just happened this last month versus a year ago. And so make sure that whoever you're using, they're doing tax strategies so you can plan ahead versus tax compliance. You still have to do tax compliance. We still all have to do that. But make sure you get those tax strategies in. That's, That's super important.
1: It is. So another question a lot of people around this time ask, and you can talk a little more about the distinctions, is should I file an extension or not? And so what are some guidelines around filing that extension?
2: So one of the things, you know, if you have a tax professional, and right now it is honestly probably the busiest time of our whole year. And so my kind of advice to a lot of people is go ahead, do a kind of a guesstimate of what you might owe and actually file an extension, either come early in the year or, you know, have everything planned. But right now you're not going to get the best of your CPA or your tax strategist because again, they're they're tired. So uh, (laughs) I guess this is, you know, saving my own skin as well, you know, like wait until May, Give a little bit of a break. Wait until May because I can guarantee they're going to be much brighter, much more on the ball in that time. And then you know, there's always this little thing that people kind of say is that the IRS has already picked all of their people that they're going to audit by the time October comes around. Whether that's true or not, you know, it's as long as you've paid your taxes and, and you've done all the document matching, so you don't get kicked out by a computer. You know, there might be some validity to that. You know, there's nothing to prove it, but I actually don't mind extending stuff. And then waiting until September, October to actually file.
1: And is there some distinction between, I mean, in addition to the timing, is there some benefit for, I mean, I think most corporations and most of our clients, you know, once they're integrated deeply into our community, they do do extensions. Is there just more benefit other than just timing? Well, one of the things, yeah, one of the things that
2: you can do, for instance, let's see if you have a retirement plan and maybe you don't have the cash flow yet to fund that retirement plan. You can actually extend your entity return and then wait until the extension date to fund that retirement plan. So, I mean, you can kind of go along the whole year to backdate and, and backfund the deduction that you took in 2017, but you're actually not paying for it until, you know, throughout 2018 until, you know, September, October of 18, which can be a benefit. I mean, especially if you're in a little bit of a cash crunch. That you know, you can take a deduction and not pay for it yet.
1: And so let's talk about deductions. Like what are the biggest mistakes people make as one question and then continue that on what are the biggest myths? You know, like I'll start with some of the myths. I don't think people write up their home office properly. They don't think they can do meals. I mean, they just don't know the boundaries of what they can and can't do. So what are the myths and they should be doing them and what are the biggest mistakes? Which it kind of goes hand in hand.
2: Yeah, I would say kind of some of the some of the myths is that you know if I write off a home office, it's a red flag for the IRS. And I mean, honestly, it used to be, but most of my clients are actually writing off a home office as long as they've got some kind of company. You know, the thing with the IRS is, as long as your expense is ordinary and necessary, it's directly related to the production of that income, then you can take that deduction. I mean, so there's the deductions are really wide open. you know. And a lot of people you know, are, oh, well, I don't want to get audited or I don't want to do this. It's not a horrible thing to get audited. If you get audited, it's, yeah, we basically, if we've done our job, then it's just gathering the paperwork, sending it off to the auditor. They go through it and they say, okay, good, done deal and on the way. So as long as you are documenting what you're doing, again this is where it kind of goes back to the beginning that you have that thought process that that thought process is really a business person's thought process versus a employee or or an individual person's thought process i mean you got to think of it as how is this a business expense i mean why can i deduct it and yes there are some limitations on some of the things that you can deduct i mean meals and entertainment for the current and the new tax law the entertainment portion for instance let's say if um, i have got a client that loves baseball we go out to dinner, I take them to a baseball game, we go to dessert afterwards. In 17, I would be able to write off the whole thing, the cost of the tickets, the cost of the meal, the dessert afterwards. But in 18, one of the changes that they've done is the entertainment expense. I'm not able to write that off as an entertainment expense anymore. So I could write the meals off, but not the cost of the tickets to the baseball game. So now it's like, okay, how can we convert our thinking to make this deductible? Or is it possible to make that deductible? So there's some some strategies we can use there. yeah. You know, and then some of the mistakes that I honestly see is people, they don't do their accounting stuff or bookkeeping until now for last year. And I can guarantee you, it's a lot harder to remember that you spent stuff on office supplies back in a year over a year ago in January. You've got to do your accounting stuff right away. Don't wait until the following year to do it. Again, you're just reacting to expenses. You're, you're not being proactive you got to get proactive. You've got to plan. You can't just fly by the seat of your pants and have that shoebox of expenses and receipts because I guarantee you, you're going to lose receipts in your car or forget about something or it, and then you're missing deductions. And those are, you know, a deduction is a deduction. If it is a $10 deduction, it's still a $10 deduction. I mean, I think don't cheat yourself out of deductions by not planning and not doing the stuff right away.
1: So how does some of the, the new tax reform, by the way, Our initial tax Reform podcast has had the most downloads of any of the podcasts. So we uh, rocked that one out really well. And now people are in the activity of it. So what are some of the things, like you said, in 2017-18, there's entertainment. What are some of the other things that are going to affect people? Um, Having a C corporation, you're going to get a better deductive. Maybe just go through and review again. Let's talk about the reform and how it's going to affect people this year and how they need to behave differently.
2: Okay, so your point about employees or you know pay taxes and that's absolutely gonna be correct. So if you have a W two and let's say you have some unreimbursed employee expenses that you would deduct on your, your itemized deductions, your schedule A, hey, guess what? You don't get to deduct those anymore. Those are gone. Those I mean, completely disappeared. So if you have a you know, an outside salesperson used to be able to deduct miles and stuff that was not reimbursed by the company, you again you can't deduct those anymore. I mean, nothing. No vehicle miles, no entertainment, no travel, no computer, no cell phone. Nothing is deductible for an employee who has unreimbursed employee expenses. That's a big one. The next major issue is the limitation of income and property taxes. So anybody who's on the coast is going to kind of really affect them. So the limitation of property taxes and income tax used to be able to deduct an unlimited amount as long as you didn't fall into the AMT. That's going to be limited to ten grand, and you eat that up pretty quick. The mortgage everybody is was talking about, the kind of the mortgage deduction, that is limited to a and this is for new mortgages, so nothing that's already existing, but any kind of new mortgage, the write-off is limited to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars of mortgage interest. Now, this is just for your primary residence. So if you have a rental property, or some kind of business property, you can still deduct the mortgage interest in and it's not limited to that $750. So again, it's just your primary residence that gets limited to that $750. And then my actual favorite thing is the its a code section 199. That was a whole brand new code section that they added. And what that is, there's a flow through of income that any kind of business income. So you've got a partnership, you've got S-corp income that flows through to your personal return, you're going to get a 20% deduction off of your taxable income for that money. So let's say you have $100,000 <laughs> flowing through to you from this S-corp, you're going to get a $20,000 deduction off of your taxable income. That is a huge deduction. So if anybody was contemplating, okay, should I go into business or, or do this business? Absolutely. let's. We've got to convert this to an S-corporation. We've got to Do this. I mean, so we can run that income through the company so we can get that deduction. Now, you do get the deduction on a sole proprietor or a Schedule C as well. But with that, you're still going to have to pay 100% of the net profit. You have to pay the uh, Social Security and Medicare tax on it versus the S-Corp. We can actually pay a reasonable salary and then the rest of it comes down. There are some limitations. When your net income gets over $400,000, that deduction goes away. So then what we kind of do is do a strategy of, you know, let's create, maybe break up the company into a couple different divisions, change some ownership parts, and then we could create a C-Corp that we, again, it has to have a business purpose, but we create that C-Corp that takes off some of the the cap money so we can still pull down the maximum amount to get that maximum 20% deduction. So again... You have to do that, though, now. You can't wait until next year to do that, to go backwards. I mean, we've got a plan. We've got to be proactive. We've got to get the stuff in place so we can do the agreements, move the monies, and create those strategies before uh, it's too late.
1: Awesome. So there's ultra income earners, right? Super ultra. It's been interesting to be in these conversations with people who are making millions, and their comment was, you know, at some point, the new tax reform is going to kill us and I'm not going to name their names because they're pretty high profile folks and they they own a lot of real estate. What would you say to those folks? Is it that their accountants not seeing the code? Is that really true? But I've heard a lot, especially from the real estate community, that at a certain level, it's not going to support them.
2: One of the things that's a little interesting is you've got those limitations that I kind of talked about with the real estate. The $400,000, it can be bumped up by a percentage of the real estate that you own. So if you own a million dollar building that's rented out and runs through this business, you get to take two and a half percent of that million dollars and add it to this limitation. So this new tax law, I think is actually, if you have a real estate person and they're complaining about this new tax law, they really need to see somebody new because this tax law was designed for high income real estate moguls. I mean, obviously you look at Trump, look at what his holdings are. He's got a lot of real estate holdings, right? So it makes perfect sense that you create some kind of company or benefit for, for himself. So that $400,000 limitation, you keep on getting to creep that up based off of your real estate holdings or 2.5% of your... you know, That's not your depreciated real estate value either. That's actually the value of it. So that number could be huge. So to answer your question, if you've had these complaints, yeah, we need to talk to them because I think they're talking to the wrong people.
1: That's yeah. what I think too. So. Well so, I just wanna give a few actionable things that people can be doing during the year to make their tax return, their tax filing easier. Just simple actions that people can do. I mean, like the simple ones I do, right? For every company it has its own credit card. You're really conscious about, you know, using your card, keeping things clean to bookkeeping tips things that like your ideal client, you know, I'm not saying that I'm that person, but to an ideal client that would hand you things that are very organized, that you could just get their return done and they need to be aware of because they're the business owner.
2: Yeah. So basically the first step, I mean, obviously the first thing you have to do is set up your entity, get your entity set up. Next thing, once that's set up, you get your, your ID numbers and everything like that. Get a bank account, get a credit card account that's used only for that business. Now, People say, oh, does it have to be in the business name? Sure, that, that's preferable, but we can actually just use one that it is in your name. But you never, ever, ever put anything else besides that entity's business expenses on it. So then once you have those, next step is you have to have bookkeeping in place. Not bookkeeping for the whole year, but bookkeeping every single month. Once you have that bookkeeping for every single month, then you're going to get what's called a profit and loss. So you get this information. So that information is key to help plan for your future and what you're doing. So once we get that information, then we can do these tax strategies, move transactions, change things, you know, if we need to add another entity or change, I mean whatever we need to do, we'll have the information to be able to do that. That is my ideal client. And this has all happened before the end of the year. They're coming to me in, you know, we meet in June, we meet then in September. We might meet again right before the end of the year, and then we meet in tax season. I mean, so it's like we're meeting four times a year versus just coming in for taxes, doing the taxes, gone, you know, I don't see them again. So be proactive.
1: Exactly. What other advice do you would you have for folks at this moment We're heading into the end of the year? And then I want to go to a couple little problem issues that have just come in.
2: No, again, the same thing. You've got to get this stuff done now. Don't wait until the last minute. You've seen it. You, you know how crazy we get towards the end of the year, everybody's like starting to scramble to get the entity set up. And it's, I mean, it's so much more of a headache to do it then versus to do it now, be prepared.
1: And what would you say to the people, I actually met two people over the weekend that just triggered this. They haven't filed taxes in six years. They've had international, yep. one had went to live in Puerto Rico, then she lived in Belize, then she lived in Mexico and round and round. So they're both, you know, two women, kind of world travelers, made, but well, not well into six figures, but six figures now they're moving back to the United States. They haven't filed taxes. What do they do? Because I bet the whole bunch of people listening might be in that situation.
2: So if you haven't filed your taxes, I mean, the first step that you need to do, we need to get current. So we file the current year's taxes because the older ones we can file and go backwards and file. We don't necessarily need to go all the way back. If there's, i mean, say like 10 years, I haven't filed for 10 years. We don't necessarily need to go all the way back. So if they don't have tax documents, we've got to order what's been reported to the IRS because the IRS keeps track of everything that's been reported to them. And then we reconstruct the tax documents. Basically, going forward, you know what kind of income did they have? Where was it earned? Because even if that income was earned, for that example you gave, so if they earned income in, in Mexico, they paid Mexican tax on it. As a U.S. citizen, you still have to report that into the United States. There are credits that you get for foreign income that's been earned and taxed, you know, but you still do have to go back and start gathering information. So the hardest part I think is gathering that tax information. And yes, sometimes it requires a call to the IRS.
1: Yeah. Which you should do and not them. I would say yep. that. So, Weldon, thank you. Um, I know we're running uh, to the end of the podcast. We're going to be talking about this more and more. We will uh, come yep. back after tax season and uh, talk to those who have filed extensions and continue to give tax information and advice to you as we Continue our journey on learning how to make, keep, and uh, invest the money. So Weldon, thank you so much for your time today. Perfect. No problem. And those of you that are listening, if you would like some consult, you want some uh, conversation with Weldon, you go to asklaurel.com, put in your name, phone number, email. You can make a comment. You can ask a question. You can make a request. So make sure uh, you stay in touch with us. Let us help you in these conversations and the uh, ultimate actions of your life around money. So take care. Have a great day and have a good tax season. Thanks, Walden.
2: Yeah, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmire, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View. Want to learn more about off Wall Street investing, tax strategies, and multi million dollar business strategies?